This is This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, episode number nine for the week of August 31st through September 6th. Contenders in September. This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball is brought to you by the Fan Sided Network, where diehard fans dish out nonstop sports news and views. Phantom has no offseason and neither does the Fan Sided Network. Coming up in episode number nine, we are joined by Jim Weber, the play by play man of the Doodle Mudheads, to talk about his 35 years in the Mudhead booth and the recent rehab of Nate Robertson. Paul Wesner of Tigestown.com also swings by to talk about two prospects in our Prospects on the Prowl segment that could be gaining steam down the stretch. And on the panel this week is Ian Castleberry of BlessYouBoys.com and Greg Eno of the Knee Jerks of GregEno.com. It's time to pull off the foam finger, tell us who is number one, and enjoy contending baseball talk. It's September, and this week in Detroit Tigers baseball starts now. Uh-oh, high drive into left field. This ball is hit well, way back. Luciano will watch it fly. It's gone. For second, the 1-0. Swinging a fly ball. Wow. Left field is wow. deep. It's way back. The Tigers are going to the World Series. Bringing the best Detroit Tigers bloggers together to talk about our team. Sponsored by MotorCityBingles.com. It's This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, and it starts now. Hello and welcome to another edition of This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. I am your host, Joe Dexter. September baseball is finally here, and the Detroit Tigers sit four games ahead of the Minnesota Twins in the AL Central Division. And after a key series against the Tampa Bay Rays, the Tigers take on the Indians in what proves to be another key matchup for these Tigers. They all do at this time of the year. If you would have asked me a month ago if the Tigers would be in this position, I might have looked at you funny. But now after some additions and continuous strong pitching, the Tigers remain a top the central. Aubrey Huff hit an RBI double and seems to be getting out of that slump. How key will he be down the stretch? Our panelists Ian Castleberry of BlessYouBoys.com and Greg Eno of GregEno.com will join us to talk about that and much more surrounding our Detroit Tigers. Coming up later in the podcast, we'll also be joined by Paul Wesner of Tigestown.com, the number one source for Tigers minor league news and analysis. We will talk about Andy Dirks and Scott Green, two of the Tigers top 20 prospects in the Prospects on the Prowl segment. And in our This Week in Detroit Tigers history segment will break down Jack Morris's ending of silence in the 1984 season. But coming up next on This Week in Detroit Tigers baseball is the voice of the Mud Hens for 35 years. He has more than 4,000 minor league games broadcasted. Let's just say Jim Weber knows baseball. I was fortunate to talk to him about the 2009 Mud Hens season, his experiences in the booth, and Nate Robertson's latest rehab. We'll hear from Mr. Weber when we come back on This Week in Detroit Tigers baseball on the Fan Sided Network. Want the best spin on sports, pop culture, and just about everything else? Just put your name on it. That's all I say. Be a man or a woman. Put your name on it. All right, all right. Calm down, Herm. It's the Fan Addict with Adam Best, the senior editor at Fansided.com. On the Fan Addict, Adam will cover the best of times. Roger Clemens is coming back. Oh, my good, goodness gracious. He'll cover the worst of times. It's my team. It's my quarterback. If you guys do that, man, it's unfair. Whether it's unfair or not, Adam Bess is there for the downright weird. Farm. And now, whoa, what happened here? Fan came. It's the Burger King guy. What is going on? 
The Burger King guy? Is that the best you got? You need to check out this senior editor's spin on sports, pop culture, and just about everything else. It's the Fan Attic on Fansided.com. We're proud to be standing there like a house on the side of the road, and we cheer when your tiger hits it long gone. MotorCityBengals.com, part of the Fansided Network at Fansided.com. Now joining us on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball is a man who's been broadcasting for the Toledo Mudhens for now 35 years. He spent more than 4,000 games in the booth. Jim Weber, the play-by-play man for the Mudhens on 1230 WCWA of Toledo is kind enough to join us. Hey, Jim, how's it going today? Yeah, pretty good, Joe, except for the rain we're getting right now. We've only had one rain out all year, but we're hoping uh, to get tonight's game in. Oh, man, that stinks. <laughs> well, the Toledo Mudheads, they are currently in a playoff race, it seems. It's been an exciting season so far. We'll get to that in a bit. But first, right out of the shoots, who's the best player you ever witnessed put on a Mudhead uniform on his quest to the major leagues? Is it, It's probably tough for you when you've witnessed guys like Kirby Puckett and Lance Parrish and so many other major leaguers. Yeah, those are two of the big names right there. Uh, I mean, we've had a lot of guys here on uh, on rehab, like Maglio's been here before. If you count that, they've worn the mud hand uniform. But And you mentioned Kirby Puckett, one of the all-time greats, or even though he wasn't here that long. So at this level, we see a lot of people come through due to the fact this was the last stop. And uh, a lot of fans don't realize that the AAA uh, level is just about as tough as the major league level. Uh, most of the guys here have been in the big leagues and will probably return. And uh, it's just a good brand of baseball. We spoke a little bit about having the veterans come in for rehab assignments and stuff. What is more fulfilling for you as a play-by-play announcer, seeing that player grow and make it to the majors as an extension of his hard work, or seeing a veteran such as maybe Nate Robertson, who make the start on Saturday, having that resurge in his career and making it back to the big leagues? Yeah, I like uh, Nate. Nate's a good guy. And matter of fact, he came over to see me a couple of times. You know, most of those guys came through here and, uh, when a guy's on rehab, they really hope that they, uh, you know, can make it back. We've got Jeremy Bondeman here. We've had Dontrell Willis here who's going to pitch on Sunday if he can get past that sore hip. And then, of course, the young guys are fun to watch because you can usually tell which ones are going to make it and uh, which ones won't. Now, you Although sometimes you're fooled, like Cleet Thomas fooled us. Uh, every time he plays here, he, he's a normal guy. You know, 270, 280, goes up to Detroit and seems to go crazy and gets a lot of big hits. So, it's really strange how that works out. Some guys make the jump and some don't make the jump so well. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the 2009 season so far. Club just above 500, and there's been a lot of faces going in and out. Can you give us a recap so far on the season and maybe some of your favorite moments? Well, you know what happened was we really got off to a tough start. Uh, April wasn't bad, and uh, as I talk about this, we've really only had one losing month. The problem was it was a 10-20 and 20 record back in May. A lot of the uh, younger guys hadn't found themselves yet, and our uh, low point was a record of 20 and 32, 12 games under. Normally at this level, when you're that far under, it's hard to get back to 500, but we had a great start in August, winning 19 out of 24 and charging all the way out to 67 and 62. But as you mentioned, we've lost the last three now, two over at 67 and 65. So it's been a nice finish, and uh, I know the last three nights have been tough losses for the guys because they knew they had an outside shot at a wild card spot, but that looks like it's just about gone now. 
Well, speaking of the club and Nate Robertson as he's heading back to Detroit, his strikeout rate with the Toledo Mudhens in his last rehab stint was about 70%. Can you tell us a bit about his rehab starts and if you think he's ready to take on major league hitters again? Yeah, I think he is now, and he told me, you know, that this relieving thing that he's been doing this year was something new for him, and, and he hadn't done that well. As you know, his ERA, I think, was like 7.71 up there. But, uh, no, he did do a pretty good job here uh, in five starts. His ERA was 1.89, a record of 1-1. One and one. And let's see, yeah, he had struck out uh, 21 while walking just four. Now, here's the amazing thing. Uh, when they called him back the other night, I think his first 40 or 43 pitches were like all strikes but three. It was an amazing thing. And then uh, in one inning, he actually walked two guys and threw like 10 or 11 balls. But up until that point, it was just outstanding. And he had perfect command and perfect control. And as you know, Nate doesn't throw that hard as uh, his hardest pitch was like 89, but, uh, you know, that's all you need if you can mix in those good breaking pitches and off-speed pitches. But in his last start, he really looked like he was ready, and I think that's why Detroit gave him the call. And he could really be valuable down the stretch. Well, somebody who's also valuable to the system is Mike Hessman, who's been called minor league baseball's true crash Davis. Now, another season at Toledo, another 20-plus home run performance. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like watching Mike every day? Yeah, you know, it's a shame that Mike has never made it, and the problem is uh, he's just easy to strike out. But what a great player defensively. He'll make any play that anyone in baseball can make. I think he's a little bit up on errors this year because his hitting, I think, was bothering him. But he got hot here about two or three weeks ago and went from 10 home runs up to 21 in just like a few days. So, you know, when you have a streak like that, his numbers at the end may be good. I think he's 11 RBIs away from 80. So, you know, the final numbers will look good, but he really didn't have a good year, and he'd be the first guy to tell you that. I mean, he was sitting around 150 or 160, and uh, his strikeout total is almost 160. I mean, that's really high. So I know that he knows that it hasn't been a good year, but he's trying to have the best finish that he can. And I know sometimes it goes beyond the numbers for a guy like Mike Hessman, who's been there before. He's probably meant a lot to a lot of the younger players, especially in the outfield. See, he's definitely our leader because, as Larry Parrish said, as soon as Mike got hot, the whole team got hot. And Mike was hot when we went uh, on that 19-5 and run, which ended just a few days ago. And, uh, and all of a sudden, Mike's, uh, you know, he's struggling again, and so is the rest of the team. It's just amazing how you get one guy uh, as the leader, and everybody else seems to fall in line. And I think you see that more when you've got uh, several young players as we do. That is really interesting. Well, one of the young players, Wilkin Ramirez, we talk a lot about him on this program, his ability to drive in runs and run the base as well. Is this guy like a spark plug for that Toledo offense? You know, he can be, and uh, Wilkin's a good kid too. The problem he has is he's not very good defensively. That may hurt him as he tries to get to the big leagues. Uh, He misses a lot of plays, but he's got 17 home runs. He nearly hit one out last night uh, to win a game for us in the bottom of the ninth. And his speed straight ahead is very good. Uh, He loses speed when he makes cuts and tries to take different routes in the outfield. But as far as going down the first baseline or running the bases, he's the fastest on our team. And uh, I think if uh, Jim calls him up in September, it's going to be for that reason that they may want to use him as a pinch runner. Well, we've seen another guy in the outfield. He's playing first base at Toledo as well, and Don Kelly. And also Scott Sizemore, a lot of talk about him maybe taking over the second base position in 2010 for the Detroit Tigers. Can you tell us a little bit about these two guys? Yeah, you know what? And that's why Scott Sizemore is going to the uh, Arizona League because they want to see him. You know, if he he, uh, convinces Detroit that he's ready, 
they may not want to sign Polanco. They may just go ahead and go with the youth. And Don Kelly's a great story because uh, Don was signed actually for us, and uh, they thought he would only be a Triple A backup, but he was so good that he was our best defensive outfielder of the year, and uh, and he was so good that Detroit called him up, and he wasn't even on their uh, on their big roster, you know, so they had to clear a spot for him, and and he did okay, and he was just a very pleasant surprise. But basically, he's what we call a minor league six year free agent. Finally, Jim, a couple of questions before we leave. A couple of years ago, Alex Rodriguez, a free agent, the Toledo Mudhens offered that deal to him. Were you any part of that? Well, see, we have a very innovative PR guy here by the name of Jason Griffin. And, you know, he came up with that on his own. Everyone knew that uh, he was going to get offers. So uh, we didn't think it would take off like it did as far as publicity goes. I mean, it was, you know, pretty much just a, a publicity thing to get attention. And it just went further than we thought it would. But. I know it made some of the uh, the national papers and the national media, and it got us some attention. Obviously, we would never uh, have signed him with, with the kind of money that he was going to command, but it did create a lot of attention. And as you look back at all your moments in the booth with the Mud Hens, what is the most memorable for you? Well, I think after all those years of never winning a championship, I have to look back at 05 and 06. And by the way, Mike Hessman was a key part of that. Uh, we won the West Division actually three straight years, 05, 06, and 07. But winning that first Governor's Cup and finally getting a ring, uh, and then, of course, I got two straight plus two All-Star rings, but the fact was I never uh, had a ring, and I was famous around the league for that, for being in uh, baseball for so long and never getting a ring. I was, I was on TV shows in Norfolk and Richmond and uh, I think down in Charlotte, a couple of uh, national radio shows down there, and that was always the big story. You know, you've been in this game a long time. You never won a ring. Well, now I've got uh, four of them if I count the two All-Star rings. Will Mitty call you the Cal Ripken of announcing the play-by-play man for the Mudhens, Mr. Jim Weber of 1230 WCWA in Toledo. Thank you for your time, sir. Okay, Joe, anytime. When we come back on This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, episode number nine, it's September, time for contenders to show if they're real or not. The Detroit Tigers have a chance to take away the AL Central. Our panelists will talk about it. Joining us this week, Greg Eno of GregEno.com and Ian Castleberry of BlessYourBoys.com. When we come back, we'll get added and talk about this week's topics on the panelist discussion on This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, part of the Fansided Network. All-star fans, all-star content. Fansided.com is a sports network where diehard fans dish out non-stop sports news and views. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! Fandom has no off-season, and neither do we. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. Fansided.com, the number one pro sports blog network on the internet. There is only one site to get the most timely, insightful college football analysis, Fantasy College Blitz. With a combined 50-plus years of playing, Fantasy College Blitz pioneered the hobby in 1995. Cheat sheet customizer for specific league setup, multi-year statistical analysis, interviews and discussions about the latest trend and news on the Blitz Radio Podcast. You want to win your league, humiliate your friends, and take the trophy? It's all about Fantasy College Blitz. Now it's time to get the discussion growling. It's time for this week's Detroit Tigers discussion panel on This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. Introducing the panels this week in Detroit Tigers' own Joe Dexter. 
Welcome back to This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, episode number nine. We are now joined by our panelists this week, Ian Castleberry of BlessYouBoys.com. Hey, Ian, how's it going? Great, Joe. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. My pleasure. Also joined by Greg Eno of GregEno.com. And where have you gone now, Johnny Grubb? Hey, Greg, how's it going? Doing well, and uh, as usual, I appreciate you having me on, Joe. All right, well, let's get right to it this week. A lot to talk to, a talk about, not to talk to, uh, but a lot to talk about, including Nate Robertson. The fifth starter spot seems to be wide open. Nate Robertson goes four innings. First off, we'll start with Ian. What were your thoughts on those four innings, and do you think that Robertson's slider might be back? Uh, well, I watched it from uh, between my fingers covering my face because I, I, uh, I wasn't expecting a lot out of him, but he, he looked good. Um, that, uh, yeah, that slider seems to be back. Um, his numbers in the minor leagues indicated, um, that he had some, some good strikeouts. Um, you know, he, he got, uh, bitten by some errors yesterday and, uh, probably deserved to win even though, well, he didn't pitch five innings, but. I thought it was a good outing as well for Robertson that slider looked back and Greg, one of the things he has to work on is throwing strikes in Toledo. He threw 53 of 56 in his last outing for strikes, those pitches being, and his average against lefties is in the 300. So that's definitely something that's got to come down. Do you think that Robertson fits in that fifth spot? Well, you know, the thing I like about him obviously is his experience. I mean, you know, this isn't a kid that, uh, you know, that, uh, is, Got peach fuzz on his face. He's been around the block. He's uh, he started game one of the uh, ALDS in 2006. So he's pitched in big games. He's um, you know he's a veteran guy, and, and that's what I like about him. And uh, when you can add somebody like that who's kind of been around the block a little bit uh, and put him in, in in that five spot where you don't have to, he doesn't have to you know uh, carry the rotation. Yeah, I th- I think you know I mean uh, like Ian said you know he he probably but. Um, you know, it kind of wasn't as much about that as it was just how did he look. And I thought that he was, um, for a you know, first time out, was pretty good. Yeah, didn't look too bad out there. It brings up a question, though, as September rolls around. Armando Galarraga is that fifth starter. Where does he fit? Do you see him pitching in the bullpen, Ian? If if Nate Robertson uh, can can be in the rotation, then yeah, I think I think he's a. He'll probably take over that long relief role. Maybe from uh, that Zach Miner's been used in a little bit, um, and uh, probably also used as a spot starter. Yeah, that would be a good spot for Galarraga as a spot starter. There'll also be other pitchers to get that opportunity, possibly with September rolling around the corner. It is here and call-ups around the corner as well. Greg, what are your thoughts on Armando Galarraga? If Robertson does pitch well in his next start, do you think that Galarraga moves to the pen? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would imagine he would. Um, but you know, the thing about Robertson is going to be the next couple of starts, uh, assuming he gets them. Um, you know, sometimes these things kind of have a delayed reaction in terms of uh, the wear and tear on the elbow and and the, the after effects. You know, you, you, you may it may come it may happen that as he gets closer to a, uh, a next turn in the rotation that. Um, uh, he doesn't feel as good as he did when he when he before he pitched uh, Friday night or Saturday night actually, but on the other hand, um, you know he, he says he feels good, um, and um, you know I 
I trust that he was he was put in there because he feels good. So hopefully he won't have any after effects and he will be able to make another start or two. And in that case, yeah, I would think that Colorado would, uh, like Ian said, would be in the bullpen and uh, or a uh, as a spot starter. Greg, you brought up the point that he is a veteran starter. He's been through this. Also today, after Justin Verlander's start, according to Jason Beck, he came out with gum time again, which hasn't been out <laughs> since 2006. Ian, you think that's a big effect for this team when a guy like Robertson comes in with that type of attitude? Yeah, I, I think this is uh, the chemistry on this uh, team has been been good all season long. And, uh, yeah, having somebody around to – to uh, break the tension a little bit, uh, I'm sure there was there was plenty of here we go again in that dugout until that eighth inning. So uh, yeah, having somebody around to to uh, keep it light, I'm sure helped quite a bit. Well, let's get to the week series, the games that took on that were played this week. First of all, the Tigers dropped two out of three in Oakland. They head not too far down the road, then take on the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and take two out of three. So far in this series, they've played well against a team that was in the playoff hunt. And at 69 and 60, this is a team maybe that we can now say can contend with at least the quote-unquote big boys, despite nothing really changing. Greg, what is your opinion? I know what it really is, but has it changed at all? Well, actually, you know what, uh, Joe, it has a little bit. Um, I, I think what what, what really uh, gave me some pause was when they went into Los Angeles. And even though the Angels hadn't been playing all that well, um, that hasn't mattered, really, you know, who they've been playing. When, when it comes to them playing on the road, it doesn't really matter how well the other team has been playing or, or what the other team's record has been because they've been playing you know, not very well on the road. So when they went into Los Angeles and one of those, won those first two games, that really uh, – Kind of made me think that, yeah, maybe this team is gonna is gonna have enough to to get to the finish line without uh, puttering out, sputtering out. Um, that was, I, I think, a very big series for them. Just to, first of all, get that monkey off the back of not having won. I think it was ten straight road series they had lost. Uh, and secondly, doing it against a team that uh, is going to make the playoffs, and uh, and not only going to make the playoffs, but is a team that could very well make it to the World Series. So I thought that was a uh, that was a turning point. I think. Coming back and, and, win, and winning the two of the first three games as we as we do this show against Tampa was another is another indication to me too because this is another team Tampa that I wasn't sure the Tigers could play with so yeah I, I might my opinion has changed a little bit I'm feeling feeling a lot better about it I mean I, obviously the Yankees and the Red Sox you know are still beating the you know what out of the Central Division teams but um, you know the postseason could be a whole different story as, as we've seen before. That is a true story and a team that could have been competing. We thought that there would be a tough road against the Rays. Ian, we look at these tough teams that they face. That's not going to be the case in September. They'll face some softer teams as we go down the stretch. But a lot of the reason that they're competing with this team has to do with, even though the offense has struggled, there's been some key hits at key times. Do you see that continuing as the playoffs roll around? I do, because I I think this this team is what we've seen. Uh, Barring you know a, a sudden offensive explosion, which I, I just don't think is going to happen. Um, uh, yeah, I think every night's going to be a pitching duel. We're going to wait for the big hit, and uh, I think this uh, might make the Tigers a little more uh, playoff ready than some of the other teams they could be facing. Maybe that's a little looking at it through some tiger stripe glasses on my part. But um, yeah, every one of these, like this this whole series with Tampa. I mean, it's had a feel of a playoff series to me. 
It really has, and when you look at what's going on, they take they face the David Price. They struggle against him a little bit. The offense hasn't been there, but they've come up in big, big times. Well, September is here, and those big times will definitely be needed. It's going to come down to the wire. One thing I want to talk about today as the Chicago White Sox continue to fade out of the division race as of now. That's not going to be necessarily the case when it comes to late September, but are the Twins a team that can contend with the Detroit Tigers? We'll start with Greg. Well, I never trust the Twins. I never have. I never will. Um, they're, they're, to me, like uh, that horror movie um, villain that you just uh, you, you just have to you just to make sure they're really... Uh, I, I still think they've got something left in, in another run, one more run that the Tigers left in them. Uh, I, I feel good that the Tigers are just four and a half games up on them right now, and, and more importantly, five games up in the loss column. But uh, I don't trust them. Um, I don't trust uh, uh, them not to have one more run left in them. But I think the Tigers, though, um, have a, a, they really shouldn't look at it as, as, as just the Twins. They, I think what they just need to do is just play, go out there and play baseball, win some games. And that's what that's what you do when you're ahead. You don't worry about what's going on behind you. You don't worry about what the, other, the other teams. You do that when you're behind. When you're leading the division, uh, you just go out and play and try to win as many ball games as you can. Because if you do that, you're going to win the division. So uh, I feel better being ahead of the Twins four and a half games than I did be, be, being behind them, of course. But I, I still think that the Twins are going to make this a little bit more uncomfortable than, than we'd like it to be. That being said, Greg, though, when the game is over, it's still time to scoreboard watch for those Tigers. It'll be breathing. They'll be breathing, getting breath, breath down their neck, won't they? I think so. I mean, uh, you know, you just. The thing that the Tigers have not been able to do, and Ian touched on about uh, having a, a playoff feel, I think it's a good point. A lot of the games they played has, has been like that because of the low scoring and the pitching duels and what have you. But that's another reason why the Tigers have not been able to pull away. They've not really been able to go off on one of those six, seven, eight game winning streaks that uh, would really, I think, kind of seal the deal here. And they haven't been able to do that. They win three in a row, lose a couple, win a couple, lose one. Uh, they inch themselves a little bit further and further away from 500, but they don't. They haven't been able to really, you know. Um, come down with that hammer to really put the nail in that coffin. You know? And that's why I think they're going to make this, that's why this division is going to go down to the wire. Because I don't see the Tigers, um, uh, you know, really having, it's been 130 games and they haven't really gone on a winning streak, I don't think, longer than five games. I might be mistaken about that. But certainly not in a long time have they done that. And uh, unless they do that, it's going to be nip and tuck. Well, part of the offense that has been added to the Tigers is Aubrey Huff, the left-handed hitter. He breaks his 0-for-18 slump today. He'll be key going down through September. Ian, where do you see him fitting in throughout the rest of the year? I know he's been DHing most of the time, but this is this is a guy you stick in the lineup every day, isn't it? Yeah, you have to. I mean, they need they need that bat. I would like to see him in the field a little bit more. I'm I'm kind of surprised Leland hasn't hasn't done that. Although I think he seems pretty determined to uh, put Gu- uh, Carlos Guillen in left field, and he's afraid to play anybody but Brandon Inge at third. Um, I get the feeling though with Huff, it just once he gets that first home run, or, or you know, he got he got a big hit today. Uh, although they they didn't do anything with it, I kind of feel like he's just one hit away from maybe getting on a roll. He just needs to break through. Maybe he's putting a little pressure on himself right now. 
especially in this lineup where he is placed in the lineup. I think that he has does feel a lot of pressure and being that lefty, he's not used to staying in the lineup just against righties as well. Well, I want to talk about the outfield as well this week. We've seen Carlos Guillen, like you mentioned, Ian. Uh, there's a lot of guys that could play. If the playoffs started today, the Tigers were in, there's a lot of guys that could be playing in the outfield. Greg, you look at Cleet Thomas, Marcus Timms, Maglio Ordonez, Carlos Guillen, and Curtis Granderson. Of those guys, who do you start in the playoff series if it started today? Well, you know, a lot of it would have to do with who's on the mound for the other team. Uh, none of those guys you mentioned, with the exception of Granderson, are really very good defensively. Um, I mean, they're all kind of mediocre to below mediocre, frankly. Um, so defensively, you're not really going to, you really can't put a, a, a trio out there that's going to give you a, a defensive advantage uh, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, uh, there are some in that group that are better than others, but there's really not a gold glover in there other than Granderson, uh, really. So I think it, is, it's, it will have to do with who's on the mound, i.e. a lefty or a righty. Um, I like Ordonez and right. I, I think that um, I just feel uncomfortable not playing a guy like that who's got so much He's got the resume here that, that, that he has. And obviously, Granderson's in center field. So then in left field, that's where it becomes murky. Um, and if it's, a, if it's a left-hander on the mound, I don't think you'll see, you know, uh, Lee Thomas. Uh, you might see Ryan Rayburn. You might see Marcus Thames. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of guys that Jim could put in there. Um, but it would have to do with, it would have to do with uh, the question would be the offense and, and how a guy is done against, uh, against that particular pitcher, I, I, you know, you certainly wouldn't do it for defense. You would just do it for uh, what, what, you know, which gives you the best chance to win offensively, at least what gives you the best chance to score runs. And uh, that could change. I mean, it would be might, that might be one of those positions that just kind of, you know, is kind of like the wild card position that just kind of you'll see different guys in there, even in the playoffs. You know, that, that uh, depending on who's on the mound and who's had success against who, and you know, if it's a righty or if it's a lefty, and you know, that's. That's kind of what the, I think it might be, really. I guess if you had to look at it that way, that is a bonus. And it, it's really going to be interesting down the stretch. One guy I want to talk about a little bit more as well as Marcus Timms, the Marcus Timms factor. It, we always talk about it in Detroit. This is a guy that we say if he's in the lineup, he could smash balls, hit a lot of home runs if he's in there every day. Right now he has 13 home runs, and Ian, down the stretch, is this a guy that might be able to be a spark? We saw it in 2008 a little bit where he got hot at one point. He could really be a changer down the stretch. Uh, he could be. I, I'm kind of down on Marcus Thames, actually. I, I think we, we've seen season after season uh, of him just falling off the table after June and, and July. I Right now, I don't think he offers the Tigers very much, other than you know he's a, a DH against left-handed pitching. Um, I, I don't think the Tigers will go this far, but I would even think about leaving him off the playoff roster during the uh, division series and the championship series if they got that far in favor of uh, um, maybe an extra catcher or somebody like that. Because I mean, you're not going to use him as a defensive placement replacement. You know, maybe you'd use him as a pinch hitter in the World Series if they faced a National League team. I, I just don't think he offers he offers the Tigers very much right now. Would you agree then that at Marcus Timms, the whole factor when you look at what he's meant to Detroit fans, is that something that we've kind of put together, or is he really somebody that can hit at points? Uh, one guy I look at in this series, Carlos Pena, he plays every day. He hits 219, but he does drive in 37 home runs. Yeah, I just I feel like if he could play every day, he would. You know, this this has happened. 
every year. And I understand why, why fans love him. You know, May and June, he's incredible to watch. It's, it's so fun to see a guy who you, who you know could take it out of the park. And I know Greg's written before just about how strong he is and how impressive his home runs are compared to uh, other Tigers of the past. But he just uh, – I don't know what it is, whether, whether you know it gets toward fall and he – he just runs out of energy or, or something like that. Yeah. Again, I, I, I'm, I might be in the minority here, but uh, uh, I'm not too impressed with him right now. I can agree. I agree with you at points. And I think Rod Allen would call it country strong is what that is. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do, I do agree with you to the point that Marcus Timms is more of a, not the guy that you want to go to at this point. I see what you're going there going with that Greg I want to get your opinion on this do you think Tim's can be a factor down the stretch you know I'm kind of with Ian on this um, and I don't know that it's you know I'm not really uh, well versed enough to really comment on, on, on him uh, before June after June because uh, I'm assuming that uh, uh, Ian's a lot more up on that kind of thing than I am and, and but I do it does kind of seem that way though the second half of the season he does tend to kind of disappear a little bit. But if you look at Marcus's numbers, though, it's kind of interesting. He, he's got a great home run to at-bat ratio. We all know that. But he doesn't have a very good RBI ratio. I mean, if you look at his home runs, uh, which are impressive, the totals are impressive, but he doesn't generate a lot of RBIs with those home runs, which tells me that he's not getting a lot of hits other than home runs uh, that, that mean anything. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy that if he, it's almost like he would hit 32 home runs but only get like 80 RBIs. And that's, you know, that's, you know, that's not really, I don't know how much of an impact that is. As far as him down the stretch, you know, I mean, Ian's right. I've written about his strength before, you know, but I don't know how you just, if you can put a guy in and just hope that he's just going to tag one out. I like the fact that he is a guy, though, on the on the bench, that if you do need a home run, he could certainly deliver it. Whether that's enough to, to, to earn him a roster spot for the playoffs is another story, but sometimes in the playoffs, you know those tight ball games. You do need a home run late, late in the inning. You know, late in the game, late innings, and and, uh, and you look down the bench, you see that big, you know, there who could just uh, and other teams respect him too. Let's let's we got to remember that too. Other teams know what this guy's capable of. So you know you have to be careful when you pitch to him. Uh, I don't know that I go so far as to leave him off the roster for the playoffs because I, I just feel like he's a weapon that that you might rue that you don't have uh, in certain situations, but. I will agree that he's not certainly not one of the guys that's making an impact right now. He's kind of been pretty much invisible, frankly. Ian, do you think that the decision coming down to the playoffs, say that there is a decision between Tims and another outfielder, it really comes down to the defensive replacement that would be filling his spot. And when you look at this roster, if Ryan Rayburn is there, is that a guy you take? Because defensively, he's had lapses this year. I, I still, yeah. Despite those lapses, I think I think he offers a little bit more. He can play uh, both the corners. I, I know Thames has two in the past. He could even in a pinch play center field, and he almost has provided as much pop as Thames has this year. I think that's a really good point, and one that goes forgotten is the pop that Ryan Rayburn has shown so far this year. Well, let's change subjects as we continue to talk about September. Call-ups are right around the corner. I think pitching is going to be key. Are there any guys out there, we'll start with Ian, that could take a spot start from maybe a Justin Verlander and Edwin Jackson? Um, I think they just called him up this weekend. I know he's not a minor leaguer per se, but I think Nate Robertson is, is going to be that guy. Maybe... You know, I'm intrigued by uh, what's his name, Nate Bump in in Toledo, who's been pitching really well. 
But, uh, you know, is that just a classic uh, guy who's just uh, dominating in AAA, but he'd get shelled when he comes up to the, uh, comes up to the majors? Um, Eddie Bonine has enough experience, I think. I think uh, Jim Leland would be confident in giving him a spot start. Um, but I don't, I don't think it would go much past Bonine. Do you think that Justin Verlander and Edwin Jackson or maybe even a Rick Porcello deserve to get that rest or need a rest? Uh, I definitely do. Uh, Jackson, especially right now, I think looks like he's tiring out. He hasn't been all that good in his last four or five starts. You know, his his pitches aren't as sharp as they've as they've been. His control seems a little bit off. Um, I, I think he could definitely benefit from missing a turn or two down the stretch. What are your thoughts on that, Greg? Do you think that these guys could get a rest or deserve a rest? Well, I mean. Sometimes you don't you, you don't have the luxury of giving guys a rest. I mean, uh, I think Porcello, Rick Porcello, they gave they tried that shortly after the All Star break and kind of shut him down for a couple of weeks. Actually, kind of before and after the All Star game, kind of sandwiched the All Star break around or in between a rest for him. And I think he's good to go. I think Porcello, I, I don't see any signs of him really, you know, fading. I, he's been very impressive. Jackson has struggled a little bit. It's hard to say though whether or not that has to do with the fact that he's tired or just the fact that he maybe was overachieving in the first part of the season. Uh, Verlander, no, absolutely not. Uh, no, with a capital N and a capital O, do not, he should not miss a turn. No, absolutely, that would be criminal for, to, to sit him down. He's the kind of guy that uh, he, he gets stronger as the game goes on. He seems to be getting, showing no signs of, of, getting, uh, of weakening as the season goes on. And I, he's a horse, he's the ace, there's no way. Absolutely not. The only way you would do that is if you clinched the division, and maybe you, you know, just because you had the luxury. But like I say, you, you know, you don't have the luxury to do it of doing it. You know, that's what your bullpens are for. You know, I, I think that the bullpen is really has been a, a much brighter spot than most most people thought. And uh, I don't know if it's so much a guy sitting down and of turn as it is just maybe pulling them earlier in games. Maybe maybe Edwin Jackson is pulled after five or six or. Or what have you, as opposed to uh, you know missing a start. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, his troubles lately might just be his troubles lately. It might not have anything to do with the fact that he's tired. This might be the fact that he's, you know, didn't really have a slump, and now here it is. I think that's the difference that we'll see in 2009 compared to the last few years. Is Justin Verlander might not even let you take the ball away from him as we go down through the stretch. Well, let's talk about September just a bit more. Wrap it up. Uh, September is a key month in the baseball season. A lot going on. There's races all over the place. And for the Tigers, they're going to look to one person. And I want to ask you guys who you think that is. I'm going to say who mine is first. I think that it is going to be the Justin Verlander of the staff. When he goes to the mound, it's going to be key that he gets the wins when possible. I think he is the MVP this year. To show from last year after the to bounce back from that and already have 15 wins, I think that September is going to be even better for Justin Verlander. We'll start with Ian. Who is the key in September, and who do you think your MVP is? Uh, I think the key player in September is going to be Miguel Cabrera. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that they're playing well against uh, teams like the Angels while he's hitting. Um, however, I wouldn't go so far as to say he should be the MVP. I think it's also pretty uh, telling that they've won two games against the Rays this weekend with him not getting a hit. But they're not going to win without Miguel Cabrera. How about your thoughts, Greg, on that as September rolls around and we're about to get ready for September baseball? Who do you think the MVP is down the stretch? 
I agree that it's Cabrera. Uh, I mean, I, I agree that he's the key player down the stretch. I think Justin Verlander has been the MVP only because of all the, the bleeding he's had to stop this year in terms of giving Tigers the Tigers you know, big starts, when, and he's come through almost every time when they've needed a big start. But as far as uh, Miguel, he's, he's finally, finally the last maybe the last month or so of the season is starting to do what I've been hoping he was going to do, which is really that you know, that Albert Pujols type guy that, that is feared in the middle of the lineup. And they just seem like they're just a different team, a totally different team when he starts to get on a roll. And uh, it just makes the whole lineup look better, even though they're not really better. <laughs> but he's just got that, it's, it's got that, that, uh, that aura about us that um, when, he's, when he gets going like that and starts to launch those bombs out there, it, it, uh, it really just changes everything it's it's a, it's an intangible and um and i'm sure the rest of the team feeds off of it and uh you know i it's just there's just a lot of intangibles that come from a guy doing that to the other team and uh you know like ian said the tigers have won a couple of games two out of three here against tampa without miguel really contributing but you know you don't put those you know you wouldn't dare put your money on that you know for for too much longer it's it's uh he gets cooking like that and it's uh it's, it's really um, kind of a fun thing to see. And as you mentioned, even though the Rays have won without Miguel, or excuse me, the Tigers have won without Cabrera really contributing, just him being in the lineup is a big help in against the Rays, and it has been and it will be going down the playoff stretch. Well, coming up in the upcoming series, the Cleveland Indians will be who the Tigers take on and going on September 1st, 2nd, and the 3rd, and then they'll take on the Tampa Rays. Let's start with the Indians series. It gets underway on the 1st. That's Tuesday. Edwin Jackson taking on Carrasco. Ian, what is the key in this series? Is it sweeping the Indians and just making a statement? Uh, yes. <laughs> I think they should. <laughs> I think they should uh, sweep the Indians. This is this is what, what you do to, I, I feel like, to, to win, to, to win a division. You beat the teams you are supposed to beat, and you, you hope to break even against the really good teams. Cleveland's a team they should beat, especially at home, uh, maybe asking uh, for a sweep is too much, but I'm looking at the pitching matchups right now, and with with the possible exception of uh, uh, Wednesday's game with uh, Porcello against Aaron Laffey, who looks pretty good, I, I don't see why why they can't win every one of these games. I would agree with that statement, and Robertson will get his second start in this series. Greg, what are you looking for from Robertson? Is it to extend his innings pitched, maybe go out there and command for six innings? Well, that would be nice, but I want to get back to uh, the Indians. Actually, uh, if you, I don't know if really everybody's been paying attention to them, but they, they're like on a 21-12 and 12 streak right now. They're starting to play a lot better baseball. I mean, obviously their record doesn't really show it because they, they got the rotten start, but really, it's, you know, since they've been in, in a fire sale mode, they're playing over 600 baseball. And uh, if you look at the last 33, 34 games, they're actually, they've actually won more games than the Tigers have. So this is a team that, yeah, in the, in, in the standings, they don't look like they're very impressive. But and and they have, you know, they don't have Victor Martinez. They don't have, um, you know, a couple other guys they got rid of. Uh, but you know, they're still uh, playing good baseball right now. So I agree that the, the Tigers should win because just by virtue of the fact that they're, you know, they're still a better team than the Indians are. But don't be surprised if the Indians come in here and, and win a couple of games because they are playing pretty good baseball. Now, as far as Nate Robertson goes. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the first start going going four innings was probably the, the master plan. 
and I'm sure the plan is to, to increase his stamina and maybe, like you said, get him into maybe the sixth inning or what have you. Uh, that would be nice. Um, and and kind of, you know, again, you kind of have that luxury when you've got a four-and-a-half-game lead that you can, you know, and, and the guy is the fifth, the fifth, uh, the fifth starter. So you kind of have that luxury to kind of, since everybody else seems to be kind of getting you deep in the games and, and the bullpen isn't being too taxed, it's nice to be able to do that, to, to have a guy come in and only pitch maybe four or five innings. Um, if, he, if his pitch count is good, maybe he goes in the six. But if he doesn't, you're okay because, you know, your bullpen hasn't been too taxed. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him because uh, um, I'm sure the game plan is, is for him not to go out there and pitch four, four innings every time he starts. Eric Wedge's Indians have been painful down the stretch, even though they haven't been in contention last year, scratching back to 500 after starting pretty horrible as well in 2008. Well, the next series for the Detroit Tigers will also be a very interesting matchup, depending on how the Rays play in their upcoming series. But they will head to Tampa to take on the Rays. In another interesting matchup, Ian, when we look at this one, you you can't expect to win two out of three or maybe or even you got to hope just for a win in this case. At least that's my projection on that. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, T- Tampa still has a lot to play for. So, yeah, if they could get one of those three, uh, I-, I think that's really the best they can hope for. You know, obviously you hope they get two or even, you know, get really greedy and get three. But uh, th- still, yeah, this still isn't that good a road team despite what happened in Anaheim. They, they still have a long way to go. That Rays series will be telling. As mentioned, they've struggled on the road, the Tigers, so far this year. Greg, if they take two out of three, is it convincing you that maybe they can win on the road in the playoffs if they do make the playoffs? Well, I'll tell you what. If they do that after having won two or three in, in, in Anaheim and then, um, you know, taking – it looks like, obviously, they've, they've, they've clinched at least a split in this four-game series with the Rays here in Detroit. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that makes me feel a lot better, especially – the time of the year that it is. Um, but you know what? Maybe I'm as guilty as anybody else of making too much of the regular season and, and forgetting you know, how quickly they forget. You know, I'm forgetting 2006 when we saw it on both ends, how the Tigers kind of stumbled into the, into the playoffs and got hot. Won seven in a row in the playoffs at one point and then faced a St. Louis team that had no, I think only won 80 games in the regular season and they were too us, but yet they got into the World Series and won the World Series. So, you know, maybe I'm just forgetting that because, uh, you know, maybe all this stuff about can they beat these teams and they're not doing well against them is just a bunch of uh, hooey when the, when the playoffs begin because uh, we've seen it, you know, uh, nobody gave the tie. I know I didn't give the Tigers a chance in, in hell to beat the Yankees in the 06 ALDS, especially after they lost game one. And lo and behold, you know, they got to the World Series. So we'll see. Finally, before I, we leave, I want to talk about this season, 2009, so far compared to other seasons. We'll start with Ian. My question really is, have you seen a season like this where the offense has struggled, they can't win on the road, so many problems, yet they're able to stay above 500 in their contending team? No, I don't think I've ever seen a season where fortunes seem to change so fast. Or not just fortunes, but perception. I mean, just a week ago... What would we we have been saying after they lost two of three in Oakland? You know, this this just looked so bleak and frustrating. And Lynn Henning was writing about how nobody was talking and everybody was really fearful about uh, how this team was was going to play down the stretch. And then they win 
two of three in Anaheim, and all of a sudden, like, hey, you know, maybe we have a playoff team here. Um, it, it's been more up and down, more roller coaster like than any season I can remember. All right, Greg, we're going to you. We know you know the history of the Tigers. Have you seen a season like this? You know what? Um, the only thing I'm going to show my age here, but the thing that, that this reminds me of is, is the 1972 team. That because that team went into the season with supposedly a weak pitching staff and a pretty credible offense, and ended up being when the when the games had to play that the pitching carried them. The offense was pretty rotten. And, you know, they, they weren't a great team, that 1972 team. They had just enough to, to edge out the Red Sox. But they pitched well and played defense real well. And that's kind of what this team is doing. Um, it's, it's funny what Ian said about, about up and down. I was listening on the radio today uh, when I was out and about in, uh, in the postgame revelry of, uh, after the Tigers won today. And the fans were just, you know, it, you can just tell it's funny how talk radio goes back and forth. You know, they won today, so now everybody was – wanting to give Placido Polanco another contract. And, you know, it, it's, it's funny how that happens. And then, you know, like Ian said, if, if, that, if I had listened to that same talk radio show last Sunday when they lost two out of three to Oakland, you know, it would have been just a totally different. And that's true with all sports, not just with baseball. But it's funny how that goes. You know, it's just so, you can just tell, just when you flick on the radio within 30 seconds if, if the team won or lost that day, but depending on, uh, based on the types of phone calls that you're getting. But, you know, uh, this is, let's face it, this is a bad division. Uh, worse than I thought it was going to be. I didn't think it was going to be this bad. I thought it was going to be tight, but I didn't think it was going to be tight this way. I thought it was going to be a three-headed race with each team winning almost 90 games, not a three-team race with two of the teams under 500. So it's a bad division. And um, yeah, But the Tigers have played exceedingly well at home, um, way better than I thought they would, which is obviously carrying them right now. Uh, they pitch well. They catch the ball. And, uh, you know, that's... I guess that's how you win baseball games, right? That's what we all keep saying, you know, and I guess that's where, you know, we keep saying it, and yet we're so surprised that it's happening. But that's why they're doing it. They pitch and they catch the ball. Well, September will be a lot of fun, guys. It will definitely be fun to watch. I want to thank you guys for joining me. Ian Castleberry of BlessYouBoys.com and Greg Eno of GregEno.com. Thanks, guys, and go in September. That's all you can say, right? Absolutely. Thanks again for having me on, Joe. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Looking forward to listening to the show down the stretch. Ian Castleberry of BlessYouBoys.com and Greg Eno of GregEno.com. As always, guys, great insight. Thank you for joining me. When we come back, we'll be joined by Tykestown.com's own Paul Wesner. We'll talk about two prospects that I think have a future in the Old English D, Scott Green and Andy Dirks. That's coming up next on This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I don't know how to talk like a parent. Don't make me come back there. You see what I mean? It's pretty awful. Try it again. Don't make me come back there. Now that's pretty good. That one kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUsKids, and the Ad Council. They're not growling, they're not biting, heck, they're not even angry. But these young players have a future in the old English D. It's time for Prospects on the Prowl on MotorCityBengals.com. Here's Joe Dexter. Now joining us on this week of Detroit Tigers Baseball, the talk prospects is Paul Wesner of Tigestown.com, the in-depth source of Tigers minor league coverage and analysis. Hey, Paul, how's it going today? 
Doing well. How are you doing? Doing great. Let's get right into the prospects. Well, today we're going to talk about two 2008 selections, Scott Green, who was drafted in the third round, and Andy Dirks, who was selected in the eighth round. Let's start with the relief pitcher, Scott Green. Here's a kid who has a lot of potential. He strikes out nearly nine batters per nine innings, but he's giving up more hits than innings pitch. He has 11 saves so far this year in Lakeland. Can you tell us what type of pitcher Green is and if he has the ability to be a future closer in Detroit? Sure. You know, I mean, Green is, you know, the typical prototypical type guy that the Tigers draft. You know, he's got a big arm, can hit the mid-90s with his fastball. He's also a very tall guy standing at 6'7", very lanky, very tall, So, which gives him, you know, that type of range and things like that that, you know, obviously help pitchers because, you know, long of the arm, better the velocity. Um, the unfortunate part with Scott Green is that this isn't even very publicized yet. Um, he's likely undergoing um, surgery for a torn labrum very soon or possibly already has undergone a surgery at this point. So he's likely going to be out. He's out for the remainder of this year, obviously, and likely could get, miss almost all of next season as well. So that's obviously going to sidetrack him quite a bit in his progression up the um, chain. Um, once he's recovered, assuming he does fully recover, I'd say his ceiling is probably likely as a setup man. He probably isn't going to ever be a you know a big league closer type, but he certainly has excellent stuff and has that p- potential to you know really be like a late inning type guy. Paul, you bring up the labrum injury to Scott Green. Now, is that something for relief pitchers that they can bounce back easier than, say, starting pitchers? With this specific injury, it really doesn't matter what type of pitcher you are. The recovery plans and rehab plans will alter or differ a little bit just because of the types of work they're going to be doing. Obviously, he's not going to need to throw 100 pitches on any given day or anything like that. So the recovery process is a little bit different. But ultimately, it doesn't make a huge difference. It's a fairly, you know... I don't want to say common procedure, but it's still, you know, something that happens. You know, we've seen it happen with many other pitchers in the organization, and it's something that players can work through and get through and still, you know, come back with relatively, you know, little side effects. So I don't say it's really anything drastically different between a reliever and a starter other than, you know, just the process in which they'll go through to get back. When you look at Scott Green, the righty out of Kentucky, a lot of stuff there. We talked about that a bit. Coming off this injury, is it possible that the Tigers think he could be a starter and they start having him work towards that? Um, At this point, there have been no indications of that. Obviously, you know, there was always that potential. Really, a number of the guys the Tigers drafted back in 2008, you know, with their first five picks, the guys had potential to go either with Either way, being either a starter or a reliever, and right now pretty much everyone has basically been funneled toward the relief end. At this point, there's no indication they're going to change that. The hope is really that they could build up enough, you know, high-end relief prospects that not only could they, in the case of Brett Jacobson, trade him to add a piece down the road, but also so that the Tigers could really develop their bullpen from within and not have to worry about going out and signing any of these, you know, big-name pitchers to be a closer or something like that that's going to cost the team eight to ten million dollars a season they can really kind of build from that team from within and have guys you know really coming up and available down in toledo and erie that they can continue to pull up from over the next few years well one player that could really be a piece in the future is andy dirks the outfielder taken in the eighth round of 2008 out of wichita state he bats from the left side he also throws from the left side started at lakeland with a 330 average in 27 games but with wilkin ramirez and casper wells being the popular names out there dirks is a good baseball player though uh do you see this guy being a future in detroit and i guess let's start off with what type of hitter is dirks is he a slap hitter type 
No, Dirks can definitely hit the ball. Um, he's never really going to be a huge power hitter. Certainly doesn't have the power potential of somebody like Wilkin Ramirez that you mentioned. Obviously, you know Ramirez has just incredible power and strength in his bat. Um, Dirks doesn't have that exact same power, but he's certainly by no means a slap hitter. He can hit the ball aggressively. Just last night, he ripped uh, the game-winning two-run double for Erie last night to get them much-needed win after a few bad losses. So, you know, he can certainly hit the ball with authority. Um, it's hard to say exactly where he projects, obviously. You also mentioned Casper Wells. I'd say probably prospect status-wise, they're probably pretty close, really project to be something like a fourth, fifth outfielder type player. So I'd say that's probably the ceiling that you're looking at with a guy like Dirks. Probably not going to hit enough to necessarily be that, you know, an everyday corner outfielder or something like that, though. Say he does develop, though, into that type of hitter. Where do you see him hitting in the lineup? Would you see him hitting, like, second or lower in the lineup? Probably you're talking about if he's not in a two-hole, and obviously, you know, oftentimes it can depend on who else is really in your lineup. And you, if he becomes that type of, you know, an everyday type player, he's certainly going to be somebody that you're going to move around to fit around the rest of the guys. You're going to put your best hitters, you know, in their best spots, and then you fit the other guys around. I'd say if not the two-hole, then probably something like the seventh hole is probably where he projects best. Paul Wesner of Tigestown.com, the in-depth source of Tigers minor league coverage and analysis. Thank you, Paul, for your time. All right, thanks, Joe. When we come back on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball, episode number nine, we'll take a look at this week in Detroit Tigers history going back to 1984. We all know the Tigers won the World Series, but in early September, a pitcher named Jack Morris did something for his manager that might have sparked things in Detroit and sparked his return back to the mound with prominence. We'll take a closer look at that story coming up next, as well as wrap things up on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball on the fan-sided network. Brian turned to glance at the pilot, who suddenly had both hands on his stomach and was grimacing in pain. I don't know, kid. The pilot's words were a hiss, barely audible. Bad aches here. Bad aches. He stopped as a fresh spasm of pain hit him. The pilot was having a heart attack. Brian saw the pilot slam into the seat one more time. One more awful time he slammed back into the seat, and his right leg jerked pulling the plane to the side. Brian was sitting in a bush plane roaring 7,000 feet above the northern wilderness with a pilot who had suffered a massive heart attack and who was either dead or in something close to a coma. He was alone. In the roaring plane, he was alone. The plane, committed now to crashing, fell like a stone, and Brian eased back and braced himself for the crash. Explore new worlds. Find out what happens next by reading the book Hatchet by Gary Paulson. For other great book ideas, visit literacy.gov. A message from the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. He swings the line shot, base hit, right field, the Tigers win it. Here comes Kayline to score, and it's all over. Donward singles, the Tigers mobbed on. Kayline has scored, the fans are steaming on the field, and the Tigers have won their first minute. Four World Series championships, 20 Hall of Famers, and in existence since 1901. We wear the Old English D proudly since 1904 because it is our heritage. It's time for this week in Detroit Tigers history on MotorCityBengals.com. In this week in Detroit Tigers history, we look back to 1984 when Jack Morris won 19 games and created a stir on the mound. Morris, though a competitor at a young age, was also known as, shall I say, 
a crybaby. Roger Craig put a best the pitching coach for the Tigers in 1984 after his July 18th start when Morris gave up seven earned runs and threw a tantrum on the mound. Quote, Jack is acting like a baby. Obviously, Morris has some growing up to do. We're going to win this thing, but we need Jack's help. He needs to pitch better and act more like a man than he did tonight. His temper got the best of him and upset his game plan. It's upsetting the whole club when he does that and you can't act like that all your life. One day later, on July 19th, Morse resigned as a team player representative due to his refusal to grant an interview to the press. On Tuesday, September 4th, 1984, Morse ended it all, all of his silence, when he talked to the media for the first time and did it for a favor by manager Sparky Anderson. Anderson called it a personal favor, and his influence showed in Morse's first statement. Quote, I can't believe a lot of the things that were said about me. I may have shown bad judgment, but I never said anything bad about a teammate, coach, or manager. I learned that from Sparky. Unquote. Getting that off his chest must have helped as Morris went from giving up a 320 and 275 average against in July and August to a respectable 241 in September. And well, his playoff performances, they speak for themselves. Morse will forever be remembered with his must-win attitude, and no matter what the ballots say, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. And that's going to wrap it up for episode number nine of this week in Detroit Tigers baseball. I want to thank Jim Weber, Paul Wesner, Ian Castleberry, and Craig Eno for their time and insight this week. And as always, you can find more Tigers commentary at MotorCityBengals.com. Don't forget, you can email your thoughts in as well, MotorCityBengals at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Joe Dexter saying it's September. Celebrate the pennant race, embrace it, and of course, go Tigers.